racism is on the rise, let's stop being out of the bush, in primary schools. Yeah, there's a study by the NFPCC that's the one that I think I reference, and it's showing that racial bullying in the playground is on the rise. And children as young as three are being bullied and told that the other children don't want to play with them because they're brown and dirty. Children as young as 10 are trying to lighten their skin to avoid racial bullying. Like our children are learning, they're witnessing what is going on around them and they're learning it and they're perpetuating it. So to me, it's not a case of whether or not we should be talking to our children about race and racism. It's a question of when, because they're already learning it. I think there's two things to unpack here, isn't there? It's the parent doing their own work, because as we were talking about before, if you haven't done your own work and then you try and have one of those conversations, I think it risks being performative. And as you say, I think children pick up on energy over language. I think that's a huge part of it, which we'll get into more and more. But how do people start to have these conversations with that intention, you know, the positive intent that we were talking about, not being performative or box ticking with their children. Like, would you start that straight away? Like pre-verbal as we were talking about. It's got to be an age appropriate terms. And one thing I will say is that for those of us who are black, particularly, often this stuff is brought to our door. Like no parent wants to have a conversation, particularly with a black child or another child of color about racism and the fact that some people might not like you because of the color of their skin. Like nobody wants to have that conversation with their child. But for many, you know, they've just sent their child to school and and they're three years old and they're coming back and they're trying to scrub their skin in the bath and say, what are you doing, darling? I'm trying to wash my brown off. Someone told me I was dirty and they don't want to play with me. Like, That's very difficult to get your head around. So there's a nuance there for parents who are raising black and brown children and children of colour, because there is an element of, well, do we need to prepare our children on how to navigate this? You know, if that happens to tell a teacher. And then there's the other element for those who are raising children who are racialized as white in, right, let's start having a conversation about fairness and kindness and unkindness in age-appropriate terms, and to celebrate difference rather than to fear it. You know, one thing that I talk about in my book is I love children because they're honest. (laughs) They're less complicated. And actually, some of the most beautiful conversations I've had about race have been with children because they don't add their bullshit to it. It's innocent and it's just an inquiry. And one topic that I talk about in my book is when a child pointed at me when I was younger and asked her mother why I was the same colour as poo and how disarming that was for me. And one of the things I go in to explain is that, and it wasn't just disarming, there's so much shame that came up out of that. And it wasn't the child pointing at me that caused the most harm or that was most shaming. It was the mother's response. It was her mother's embarrassment. Her mother ushered the child away from me like I was dirty. And it was that lack of adulting that was totally missing. You know, that's not kind behaviour, is it? You know, let's think about other things that are brown, that are lovely and nice. She looks like a nice girl to me, doesn't she? Do you see what I mean? But instead we got embarrassment. And it could have been a conversation about, yeah, what colour is her skin? Oh, it's brown. Yeah. Sometimes you call people with brown skin black. It's having a conversation. But instead it was ushered away, ignored, shut down. And what that then communicates to the child is that race is a taboo and I shouldn't talk about it. And it's bad. This whole idea of I don't see colour is a microaggression, isn't it? It is. It's racism. It's also inaccurate 
And also there is more interestingly enough, like I know it's meant in a well-meaning way, but it causes harm. And there's so many studies that show if we raise children to not see colour, they then go on to not be able to recognise discrimination. And that really does explain why we're dealing with racism in the way that we are in society now, because we've got a generation of adults who are unsophisticated at recognising racial discrimination as a result of that colour blindness, I say in inverted quotes. And also it's part of my humanity. Like, why wouldn't you want to see a part of my humanity? Like, you would see somebody's gender is a part of their humanity. Like, it's not the only thing, but it's a huge part. And why would you want to ignore that? The resistance to bring this conversation into the home is part of what we were talking about right at the top of the conversation, isn't it? It's avoiding our own discomfort. You know, we don't see colour in this house. Everyone's the same. Everyone's equal. Isn't it all lovely? Is kind of just a massive swerve around the it's diving a into the discomfort. It's a swerve around the discomfort. It's also dishonest because we're not all the same. We don't all look the same. We're not all treated the same. And children can see that. Again, remembering that children are learning nonverbal cues as young as seven months old. There's a story I talk about in my book about a guy who was walking through, I think it was Brixton or Brixton, Brixton. Brixton Market. So predominantly at the time, a predominantly black area. And he's white with his mother, who is also white. And he noticed that as they were walking through Brixton Market, his mother's hand tightened grip, her palms became sweaty, and her intonation patterns in how she spoke got more high pitched, and nothing was ever spoken about. And he remembers that to this day. And you see, he said he learned that being around groups of black people made his mother nervous and therefore was something bad. And that's why I think doing this unlearning work is so important because what I learned from doing a bit of it myself is that a lot of it was so subconscious and unconscious, just like in that story that you described. You know, when I was doing some of the journaling points last year, you know, really things that I'm embarrassed to say I'd never actually properly reflected on, you know, like at school. And I think like you say in the book, it's so normal, the guilt and the shame that came up around that, which is so unhelpful you know, it's then how we move to the next phase, which is this relearning. Yeah. And I think before you move to the next phase, there are messages in the guilt and shame. What am I feeling ashamed about? What am I feeling guilty about? Is there something that I haven't been doing that I can do better on now? Have I caused harm? Is this my shame? There's messages in the shame and it's important to get the messages, get the lesson then move through it and then move forward. But there's always information that are impulsive physical responses are teaching us. And it's important not to bypass that. I think that's really important. I think it's like, as you describe, any healing work feels worse often. Before it gets better. Before it gets better. Before it gets better.